Hang on. Why does my watch... Why is my watch saying goal? Hang on, that's not my watch. It's lockdown football and Bayern Munich have locked down another title in the Bundesliga. That's eight in a row for Bayern now. It's good for them. It's great for them. But is it good for German football? Is Juventus's long reign in Serie A good for Italy? And the same with Paris Saint-Germain in France. Let's have a heated debate about that later. And we'll have a large focus on the Turkish Super League, which is now on BT Sport. Hello from Will Downing alongside my fellow commentators Mark Rodden, Stefan Jorni and Dimitro Zulai. Bayern Munich's 1-0 win over Werder Bremen midweek ended the title race in Germany and 24 hours later Borussia Dortmund fell to Mainz which would have handed over the shield anyway. Uh, the Frauen Bundesliga has also been retained by last year's champions. Wolfsburg have won it for a sixth time in eight seasons. Bayern will be runners-up. Of the three Irish players in the league, Diane Caldwell's SC Sand are now safe in eighth but there's a three-way relegation battle involving Claire O'Riordan's Duisburg and Amber Barrett's FC Cologne as well as Bayer Leverkusen. Obviously with the Premier League back goal line technology is now under the spotlight as for the first time out of 9,000 goals Hawkeye missed a goal. Sheffield United's draw instead of a win against Aston Villa preventing them from going into the top five and with Villa in the relegation zone that could have implications at the bottom two. In Spain Barcelona are two points clear of Real Madrid with nine games to go. Barca beating Leganes 2-0 midweek. Real seeing off Valencia 3-0 with an awesome team goal wrapped up by Karim Benzema. They're resuming in Italy this weekend with Juventus a point ahead of Lazio with still 12 rounds remaining. They halted earlier, remember. In Poland, Legia Warsaw lost to Gornik Zabrze to cut their lead over Piaskiewicz to seven points with seven games to go. And it's the title playoffs now, so top eight opposition all the way for them from now on. We're also underway in Norway, Sweden and Iceland. And Flora chance Lavadia 4-0 in the Tallinn derby to go six points clear of their title rivals in Estonia. Well, the Turkish Super League is now being broadcast in Britain for the first time in English, having previously been broadcast exclusively in Turkish. And it's a really thrilling title race. There's seven weeks to go and joint top. Trabzonspor and Istanbul, Bashak Shahir tied on 56 points and they are six points clear of Galatasaray and seven of Sivasspor. Well, from TurkishFootball.com and the Turkish Football Twitter feed, we've got Emre Sarigul with us. And I mean, this is in some ways a perfect storm. It's a really tight title race. And because of the current situations, there's now a larger overseas audience than previously. Yes. I mean, it took a global pandemic, but we're finally there. Turkish football's finally been shown in England. People interested in Turkish football have been waiting for this for quite some time now. So it's, um, it's great to watch Turkish top-tier football with English commentary at last. And as well as that, it's, it's three games a weekend. And if the authorities in Turkey have been wise, as I know a couple of the other recently signed up leagues in the UK and Ireland have been, it should be for more than one season. Is this a good season, a good quality season compared to what you'll have seen in previous campaigns? It's a very exciting season. As you probably know, most of the European leagues have already been wrapped up or we know how it's going to end. With the Super League this season, it could still go anyway. There's 
at least four teams in the title race. It's going to go down to the wire, probably as it has done for the last two, three seasons. Yeah, it's probably the best time to view Turkish football, actually. And the two teams currently tied on top, Trabzonspor haven't won the title since the early 80s. Basaksa here are a reasonably new name at that level. How refreshing is it then as British-based Turkish football fan? How refreshing are general fans in Turkey, I guess, finding this? Well, that all depends on who you support. But if you're a neutral, looking at it objectively, it's great to have a title race with potentially two new teams that could win the league. Six teams have only ever won the Super League. If Başak Şehir or Sivaspor go on to win it, it would make history. And I think it's always nice to see an underdog do well. Although not everybody would agree that Başak Şehir are underdogs. I mean, three of the top four haven't won the title in the last 30 years. Two of them haven't won it at all. Galatasaray, obviously, who is six points behind the defending champions and multiple titles over the past three decades. But Besiktas and Fenerbahce are having reasonably bad seasons down in fifth and seventh. And the case of Fenerbahce, it's not a one-off. They're having a torrid time. And this is mainly due to the club finances at most of the major Turkish clubs. The way Turkish clubs are organised is different to Premier League's. It's a membership structure. So nobody owns the club. It's technically owned by the fans and the members. What's happened over the past, well, few years actually, well, more than that, decades, is total unaccountability. Club finances are just a mess. Nobody knows what's going in, what's going out. The accounts are a mess. And so now they're in a really bad debt situation and financial fair play is coming down on them hard and the Turkish Football Federation is saying you've got to sort your act out and as a result Besiktas and Fenerbahce are, are in a serious crisis. For Besiktas for example they weren't able to pay Loris Karius's wages which is why he's now terminated his contract so they don't have a first team first choice goalkeeper um, they're having similar trouble with Mohamed Elneny Fenerbahce also have their hands really tied in as to what they can spend on transfers and wages. So we're watching a transition of these clubs trying to get through this tricky situation and pave the future for an era where, where they don't have to worry about these awful situation they've got themselves into. And I suppose one of the... Selling points of the league, I guess, is just how many familiar names are there. Alexander Sorloth, who we remember from Belgium last season in Crystal Palace, he's currently the top scorer. Radamel Falcao is quite high up in the scoring charts as well, although he's only got nine this season. Is it the case that the wages are still attractive there, that they can get some decent names, some recognisable names? Yeah, the wages are really good. What makes things better is that there's no tax. So what you get paid is what you actually earn. So if a player's earning... 4 million euros a year, he's taking that home as opposed to giving half of it to the taxman. So the wages are good. As a player, if you're a good player at, at a top team in Turkey, I mean, you're pretty much a superstar. And I think it's difficult to really get across just how big these players are in Turkey. I mean, it's 24-7 coverage. Everybody's talking about you. Everybody wants to know you. So I think that surprises players a lot when they actually move to Turkey. I mean, you, you spoke about Falcao. He had about 20,000, 30,000 people turn up just to welcome him when he arrived in Turkey. 
there's a draw for players who want that stardom. What's interesting about Alexander Sornov is he's not that type of player. He's not like a big ego. Uh, what's really impressed most people about Sornov is just how professional he's been. He's just really down to earth. He's really mixed well with the fans. I think he's been the transfer of the season for sure. Nobody was expecting him to score as many goals as he has done when you look at what happened at um, Palace and Belgium last season. And of course, the atmospheres are, I guess, what many people will immediately associate with Turkish football and the stadiums being full many hours in advance of the big derbies or even not so big derbies. Well, I always see the Turkish league as being the WWE or football. It's just crazy. It's all about passion and emotion. And then there's always drama and these ridiculous stories that you think could only be scripted. But sometimes the truth is um, stranger than fiction. But of course, there's no fans anymore with the coronavirus disruptions. All the games are being played behind closed doors. So that's going to be interesting to see how teams cope with that. And that is why I think Barshakshir here have most to gain from this situation. And that's because they don't have fans. They have no fans. Exactly uh, the question about Barshakshir here, because we are used to him being up there now. But what is behind that success? What is the story of this very small club that now is aiming for the title? Barshakshir here is twofold. On the one hand, you can't ignore... Well, a lot of people will argue that they've had a helping hand from politics, let's say. And there's no denying they have certain ties and have had favours. But on the flip side, playing devil's advocate, most clubs in Turkey have received some support from the state. And I think that's glossing over what Başak Şehir do deserve some credit for. And that is that they're a very well-run club. They have a different structure, organisational structure compared to the other sides. I mean, I mentioned earlier that most clubs in Turkey are membership-based, but Başakşehir are more similar to a Premier League club structure. They have an eight-man board. Um, it's a lot more transparent. They can make decisions a lot quicker without members um, or factions within the club blocking them. So what they've established is a well-run club with long-term goals, um, who are financially responsible compared to the other clubs. And they've made some smart transfers and invested in good young players. For example, uh, Cengiz Zunder, who's at Roma. They spotted him when he was at Altonordo, bought him in for um, just a million, sold him off for uh, one of the highest transfer fees to leave Turkey. They've now got a few more young Turkish players. And they've also balance that by bringing in experience from abroad. They've got Gail Clichy and Demba Bar and a few other experienced players in their midst. Uh, yeah, we've mentioned all those experienced players, but also we can see now Chalar Soyuncu playing in Premier League. You've uh, just mentioned Cengiz Yunder. Uh, Ozan Kabak moved to Germany recently. Also, you mentioned Altin Ordu. So what is happening with youth football in Turkey? What is happening with Altino Ordu because it is now a very famous name in European youth football. Yeah, it all boils down to the finances again. What's happened is a lot of clubs in Turkey have started to realise they can't continue how they've been conducting business any further. The era of buying over-the-hill talent 
from Europe, players who once had a great name, who are now reaching the end of the twilight of their career and paying over the odds for them. That's a thing of the past because of the financial situation. So they have to invest in youth. That has been neglected in Turkey for many years, which is the ultimate irony because Turkey has a huge population, over 80 million, and it has the youngest population percentage in the UEFA zone. So you'd think they would have worked out by now. But finally, clubs like Altonordo, there's a few more good examples in Turkey. They've really taken youth development seriously. They're pulling in a lot of investment into it. They're bringing in really good coaches and they're giving young players a chance, which was never the case before. So that's why you're seeing more and more players from the Turkish leagues moving to Europe and especially to the top five leagues. And I expect this trend to continue and grow over the next few years. Cenk Dizunder was one example. His roommate at Altonordu was, of course, Charles Soyuncu, who's doing really well at Leicester City. And there's a growing number of these players who are going to keep moving because Turkish players right now are undervalued. A player that may cost 18-20 million aged 19-20 in, say, Portugal or Brazil is only worth... Two to three million in Turkey because they haven't established that market yet and they don't have that, let's say, brand image. If you're a player from Turkey, you don't have an extra 10, 15 million added to you because of where you were developed. So I think European clubs have wisened up to this and there's a lot of scouts right now checking out the Turkish talent and I think they're going to make some real bargain signings this summer as well. Just have a question in relation to youth and um, the youth policy, not really the youth policy, but youth development in Turkey. And I've seen like in League One, for example, Yusuf Yazizi used to play for Trabzonspor, who sold for over 70 million to Lille in France. And he had uh, so far a super season in League One. Can you tell us a bit more about young, you know, future promising talent from Turkey, maybe from the underage, you know, teams? Uh, national level because we've seen like uh, the uh, national team done really well in the European qualification they were in the same group with France and they were the second spot and um, I think they beat France you know 2 in Turkey and, and drew in Paris I've seen some players you know coming through and yes this is the you know epitomized to me like uh, a young generation of uh, Turkish players are capable you know to uh, to play abroad and, and and you know doing quite well as far as I know anyway from, from that player yeah he was um an example of this recent crop of players who are moving abroad. I mean, Lille's done a really good job in Turkey because they signed Mehmet Zekicilic before him and he's done a very good job as well. And they only paid two million for him and he came directly from the second league. What's happening right now in Turkey is there's really good talent in the second division and they're moving abroad. Mehmet Zekicilic, he went to Lille and Charles Soyuncu went directly from League 2 to Freiburg before he went to Leicester. Yazıcı is an interesting case because he, he's from Trabzonspor. They're doing a really good job right now developing talent. Trabzon kind of remind me of the Newcastle United of Turkey because like Newcastle, they're on the northeast coast. And like Newcastle, the main identity of that city and that area is the football club. So there's a lot of young players that they're bringing through in Trabzon who, in my opinion, are going to go abroad, probably to a top five league. You were mentioning some young players there. Another one to really keep an eye on is Orjan Chakır, who's their goalkeeper. He's been very good this season. And there's also 20-year-old Abdul Kadir Ömer at Trabzon. These two players, in my opinion, along with Irfan Can Kavici at Başakşehir, 
are probably going to be the next Turkish players to move to a top five league. And you know, the underage national teams for the under 19 to the 21-17, can you see also some young players coming through and people are talking, you know, uh, some specific players in Turkey uh, are growing as, you know, maybe a superstar and could be moving, you know, to a big clubs, uh, to a big club, you know, in Europe. Uh, one club to keep a really close eye on is Altonordo. Um, you mentioned it earlier. Okay, this club's identity is solely based on player development. They have hundreds of football schools around the western central Anatolian region. They're focused on finding those players who would never have been discovered. Um, so they're going into towns and villages and rural areas and finding these hidden gems. And they have a policy of only playing players that they've developed. So it's, they're trying to create a 100% homegrown team, which is difficult to pull off, but they're having um, a lot of success. And right now they're playing some very, very exciting young talent. Like there's Ravil Tagir. He's 17, centre-back. He's already playing first-team football. They've got um, a really good midfielder, Burakinje. He's 16. He only turned 16 in January. He's a very, very talented midfielder. Many people are tipping him as being the future of Turkish football. Want to keep an eye on him and Ravil Tagir are two very, very exciting talents who I think we will see reach the highest level. I was a big fan of the player when I was a kid. Uh, his name was Robert Prozinoki, coach of uh, Spor. Obviously, they're not doing too well in the league, about on the league. And uh, can you tell us a bit more about the season of uh, Prozinoki? Prozinoki has managed in Turkey before, Kayserispor again. And he keeps going back to the same team. It's been a very, very tough season because Kayserispor are in a mess financially they recently changed their club president they now have they are the only club in turkey with a female club president and she's been making some interesting changes and uh, i'm not sure if they will stay up but they have shown some signs of life he has tended to get a good response from the younger players and he, he has shown that he can he's keen on developing them at least but his hands are tied i mean kaiser are in a really bad place and there's no getting around that if he does manage to keep them up he would be a huge success because you know he was uh, as a player he was very volatile as I remember as a coach is he uh, very very different from the player he was or you know what kind of style of coach uh, he is basically he likes to play attractive football but he just doesn't have the players um, as a coach he's actually quite humble he's never really involved in any um, issues I mean and in Turkish football there's managers always getting themselves in trouble so he's conducted himself well professionally most people like him he doesn't have many enemies which is uh, also a positive in this league but uh, just uh, he's in a very difficult situation but the relegation zone is very tight in turkey this season kaiseri sport did show signs of life before the coronavirus disruption so it's, it's going to be a very interesting end to the season And in relation, uh, I'm just going back to the league again. Uh, Trabzonspor being top of the league with uh, Istanbul, uh, Basaksehir uh, second, and surprisingly we see Galatasaray third and Besiktas fifth and uh, Fenerbahce seventh. Don't you think you know not having one of the top, you know, uh, two or three anyway, competing for the title have an effect, you know, an impact on the quality of the league? It does and it doesn't. First of all, Trabzonspor deserve a lot of credit for what they've built over the past few years. They were in a real mess, much like the other major clubs who are struggling right now. They've 
managed to turn it around with good leadership and the right recruitment policy. It is a shame Fenerbahce and Besiktas are not in the title race, or depending on who you support, it's a shame. But um, what this has shown is the other clubs are closing the gap with the old elite, the old order. In my opinion, this is good for Turkish football because it's been dominated by just a few clubs for so long. Only six teams have actually won the Super League. So I think this is good for the league and it's also good for the likes of Fenerbahce and Besiktas because they're having to realise and accept that maybe they're not as strong as they think they are and that they're going to have to make changes. The only time these football clubs make changes is when things go wrong. So um, I think they'll use this to rebuild. They'll be better off in the long run for it. And it's refreshing to see these other teams doing well and doing well based on just how well they've run the clubs. Just going back to Galatasaray, who had uh, nightmare games um, over the weekend. They lost 2-0 and uh, they had I think, two players injured. You know, one man sent off uh, against Rizespor. Rizespor, uh, you know, 14th on the table. It was pretty disappointing from Galatasaray. Fatih Terim is a, is a legend in Turkey and having managed, you know, twice, I think, the Turkish national team. And his third spell or fourth spell at Galatasaray. can be very happy with the, uh, the, the performance of the team so far over the weekend, but, you know, Overall, it's been pretty disappointing from Galatasaray, you know, this year. Galatasaray have won the league for the past two seasons, being down to Fatih Terim, appointed on his latest stint after a kebab war with a rival. I mean, it's a crazy story. He was in charge of the Turkish national team. He was fired basically because he got in the car, drove you 100 miles to have a fight with this rival kebab house um, owner. And the news was scandal, he was sacked, and Galatasaray used it as an opportunity to bring him in, and the rest is history. They won the league for the past two seasons. So I use this example to paint a picture of the man. He's an eccentric, he's a cult figure, he's absolutely adored by Galatasaray fans. He is the most successful manager in Turkish football history. But he's in a real, really tough situation because it's difficult to keep players motivated after winning for so long. And Galatasaray, there's just something wrong with them this season. They haven't really gelled. And part of the problem is a lot of the players are in on loan, so it takes a while for them to settle. But just in general, there's just something that hasn't clicked yet. Uh, they did pull it together in the early part of um, this year, 2020. And they went on a really good run, actually. But as you saw on the weekend, they had an absolute nightmare. It couldn't have got any worse. They couldn't have got off to a worse start. Uh, Muslera, he broke his leg. And that's a huge miss because Fernando Muslera has been their best player for the past few seasons. Also, Andoni got injured. They got a red card. And they lost the way to Rizzo when, at the same time, Trotson and Bashogashir won their respective games. So, Fatiterim is in a difficult spot. But what I will say is out of all the managers in the top four, he's the only one who's been there, done that, got the t-shirt. He's used to this. He's used to the pressure. If anyone can turn this around, it is him. So I wouldn't write Galatasaray off just yet. What I would be concerned about is Fatih Terim is a manager who gets the best out of his teams in high-pressure situations. Uh, he likes to use the home crowd of Galatasaray to really fire up the players. And he likes to use the opposition crowds to create a fort mentality in his camp. Now, without the fans, 
it's going to be very interesting to see how he keeps his players motivated, how he keeps them focused, because there isn't really that pressure anymore. I mean, nobody's out and about. There, there aren't the same crowds in the streets. There's not the same scrutiny from the media. Everything has changed. It's a different environment right now. And I think Karim might struggle with this new situation. Uh, can I just ask you about Trabzonspor, if I'm not mistaken, they've changed their coach in January. And uh, going back to Sorloth, a lot of us watched um, a fair bit of him in Belgium last season where he kind of was in and out. He was good one week, not so good the next. Um, 19 league goals, top scorer. Is there a feeling that this could be a one-off or will he be going back to Crystal Palace next season as uh, you know, a player who's finally matured? Okay, with Solov, he's on loan for two seasons. So Trabzonspor can keep him next season uh, regardless of what happens. Unless he forces their hand and files a transfer request, he will be staying at Trabzonspor. Um, they also have an option to buy for €6 million, Euros, which seems ridiculously low right now, considering the amount of goals he scored. And I'm sure Crystal Palace, whoever agreed to that deal in the Crystal Palace board, He's probably facing some serious questions right now. Trabzonspor did replace their manager in January, which nobody quite understood. But this is so typical of Trabzonspor. They've become that team, always got so near, but always so far. They managed to implode just when they're about to win. And they have a history of doing this. And I think losing becomes part of a club's DNA just as much as winning does. And they have... A, they have a real task at hand to stay focused and not throw this away because most people who are watching Trotsons for right now are predicting that they will somehow manage to sabotage themselves as they always have done in these situations over the past few years. But they are the strongest team right now in the title race. Alexander Solov has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, I don't know if you watched the game on the weekend, but the way he won the penalty for Trabzonspor was, it just summed him up. He got the ball from near the halfway line. He ran like a tank at the opposition defence. They were unable to get the ball off him. He ended up winning the penalty. I don't think this is a one-off season for Sorloff. I actually think he's a decent player. He's underrated. I don't think Crystal Palace got the best out of him or gave him a chance. And there's also the possibility that he's improved, that he's developed. That happens to players, especially strikers. And he's still a young player, has the hallmarks of becoming a very, very good player. Um, we become top level, top tier Premier League. I'm not sure, but he could really do a good job at, let's say, a mid table or upper mid table team. And seeing as uh, Newcastle was mentioned to see Papis Cisse doing well, 16 goals for Alanya Spore, Demba Ba, 10 for Basheksha here. Um, but looking through the squads, there's Gail Clichy, 34, Martin Skirtle, 35, Robinho not playing much, 36, Burak Yilmaz, 34, Emre Belazolu, 39, still playing a lot, Luis Gustavo, Nabil Dirar, 34. I know you mentioned the finances, but just in Turkish football, in the Turkish football community in general, was there a feeling that maybe there were too many older players coming through for just one last payday and that? You know, you needed more of a mix of, you know, experienced pros and those younger players coming through, especially when you look at European results this, this year, I guess, Galatasaray, Trabzonspor, Besiktas, all bottom of their group. 
I know finances are changing it, but was there a feeling maybe that this aging star passing through for a year or two was was maybe not the best way forward? Yeah, this is a major concern right now. I mean, it's an inside joke. <laughs> Lots of people see the league as a pensioner's league. I mean, it's where you go for your last payday before going to Qatar or China. Well, China is actually signing on the players. But um, if this is a major issue. Lots of players are just going to Turkey when they're reaching the last year of their career. This is mainly down to Turkish clubs being poorly run and having woeful scouting systems and poor player recruitment. The Turkish Football Federation is trying to combat this and has put a restriction starting from next season on teams not being able to sign foreign players over the age of 32. That's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But it is definitely an issue and they have to start recruiting um, younger players, um, players with, who have potential. We're starting to see more of that happening, but it's going to have to develop more and more as we go on, as this can't continue for much longer. And just to clarify that one, if it has been announced fully, foreign players over the age of two, is it a limit or a complete ban almost? It's a ban. You cannot sign players over the age of 32. Knee-jerk response of the Turkish football authorities to the situation of how many foreign players there are and how that affects Turkish players has been in the past to restrict the number of foreign players. And I know other leagues have debated this and how it would maybe improve the chances for domestic players to come through. But Turkish football already tried this and it was a complete and utter failure. And they had a restriction which only allowed six foreign players to play at any one time in a game. And it actually has had the opposite effect on developing Turkish talent because what happens is it created an artificial transfer market. These Turkish players, they were not worth the money that was being paid. What this did is actually blocked the path for actual talent coming through because they were taking the high wages. Also, less competition. There were less talented players coming through. Players weren't being signed on merit. They were being signed on their nationality. This just started more problems than it solved. So it's very odd to see the Turkish Federation flirting with the idea of bringing in more stringent foreign player rules. Again, they are limiting, they're cutting the number from what it is currently, which is um, you're allowed to sign 14 foreign players and play as many as you want at any one time. This is going to be changed next season. And they've also put in the rule, which I mentioned, of not being able to sign foreign players over the age of 32. Just in relation to uh, Laurent Blanc, I mean, apparently he's been uh, announced, you know, to take over Fenerbahce next season. Is it uh, serious information or just pure speculation? Oh, Fenerbahce is being linked with everybody right now. They they would want someone with, let's say, the reputation and the, the PR that Blanc would bring if he were to take charge because he's a big name and well, they are a big a massive club in Turkey with tens of millions of fans. But they're a real mess right now. It's going to be a very, very difficult summer. The club president, Ali Koch, who also happens to be one of the richest people in the country, he's, he faces a very, very, very difficult summer. As you know, they had Damien Kamoli, so they, 
they did have a French connection, but that's all over now. But Damien Comodi did bring in some of his people to the technical staff and um, run in the back room. So uh, it, it would be interesting. I'm not sure Blanc would take the job right now because he's not going to have a big budget this summer. Uh, his hands are going to be tied. It's going to be very, very difficult. Whoever takes charge of Fenerbahce has a huge task at hand. But on the flip side, if he were to come in and transform the team and get them back on track, you're going to be a superstar. A huge, huge, huge star with a huge format. You can name your contract price if you manage to sort out the situation right now. I mean, speaking about managers, because you mentioned the Kanburuk and the great job he's done at Bushak Shahir. Also, we mentioned Prasinecki. But there are not too many foreign managers in the league now. There is uh, Prasinecki, there is a Romanian manager in Gaziantep, and there was Stepan Thomas who came in and was fired very quickly uh, during the season. All the other managers, and especially in the clubs who are fighting for the title, are Turkish. So what could you say? about the level of uh, those managers because we all know about Fatih Terim but it's interesting to also hear about some other names. The problem is when foreign managers manage in Turkey is it's a very different management culture because of the way the clubs are run. So it's very difficult to get your way. Additionally, a lot of the coaches, the coaching staff and the players, the Turkish players don't speak English. So um, there's a communication issue. And it's difficult to adapt because there's a lot of politics being played, club politics between the board members and the members and different factions and the fan groups. So it's very difficult to get your head around all this sideshow that goes on in Turkish football. It's not just managing the football side of things. There's all this other side. And that makes it very difficult to settle. So this is why Turkish managers in general have been preferred past few seasons. With regards to the Turkish managers right now, I think Okan Buruk is the one to really keep an eye on. He's done a really, really impressive job at Başakşehir. here. What happened at Başakşehir is that Abdullah Avcı left over the summer and he was responsible for building this team. When he left, everybody expected them to fall to pieces. But Okan Buruk managed to come in and take this team to the next level. And he's a young manager. He's only 46 and I think he has a really bright future ahead of him. Um, I see him as the future of Turkish football. Another interesting manager is Erol Bulut. He's at Alanyaspor right now. He did a very good job at Malatyaspor. They were in the title race last season. They were, in, they were part of the season. They were in the title race. But he's managing teams that are expected to be relegated. And he's managing to push them into the top half of the table. He's also a young manager. He's only 45. And what's interesting about Erol Bulut is he was born in Germany. What's going to be interesting over the next few years is players of Turkish descent who are from Germany and Western Europe because they're going to bring in the tactical ideas and the footballing know-how from places like Germany, France, Belgium, so forth, which are tactically more developed, more modern, more advanced than Turkey right now. I think they're going to be very important in bridging the knowledge gap and also why they're important is because they find it easy to adapt as they speak the language and they know um, roughly what goes on and how they have to manage this uh, situation with the board members and members and the, and the non-football inside. So I think Erol Bulut is a very interesting case study because he's bringing that German tactical know-how and he's mixing that with being of Turkish heritage. 
So I think we'll see a lot more of Errol Polota and um, Okan Buruk over the next few years. As for Trabzonspor, they have also a Turkish manager, but it's, um, he's pretty much carrying on what his predecessor did. I'm not sure he has a long-term future, unless, of course, he does win the league. But this isn't really his project, so to speak. And before we let you go, the top two, who are currently six points clear of Galatasaray, both have to play Galatasaray in the coming weeks. So they still have a big say left in the title and it may yet be going their way again. Yeah, you can't write Galatasaray off right now. It's still way too early, in my opinion, as they're the only team with players who have won championships and titles at the highest level. They're the only team with a manager who's won trophies before out of this title race. So I wouldn't write them off just yet. What I would say is to keep an eye on Boshukshir here, because I think as a club who traditionally don't have any fans anyway, this is going to suit them the most. And they have a really good manager who I think could be the future of Turkish football management once Fatih Terim does go on to retire. I mean, Okan Buruk has done a tremendous job here. Uh, I think he's he's definitely one to keep an eye on in the future. But as for Galatasaray, I would not write them off just yet, even though they they look like they're in trouble. And here actually have named their stadium after Fatih Terim. It's not huge. It's only about 17,000. Is there a kind of a feeling that sort of a bit like, we'll say, Chelsea and Manchester City a few years ago, that it's it's new money interrupting the the natural flow of football, if you like? Very much so. And it's even more surreal as Chelsea and Manchester City did have fans before the money came in. Bosnia didn't exist 20 years ago. They were a council team. They belonged to the council. They were just an amateur team. They had an injection of money and they've grown into this team right now who challenge year in, year out. And they are a disruptive force in the league. They are changing the traditional order of things. A lot of fans don't know what to think because because Boshukshir here don't have fans. No one really hates them because there's nothing really to hate as they don't really have any fans to hate. A lot of people in Turkey are not happy with how they've managed to grow so quickly at the expense of some of the other clubs and the investment they've received. But they are here and they're doing very well. They are well run. And I think they have a chance this season. Out of all the seasons they've been involved in the title race, I'd say this is their best chance because of the fan situation. Is it too early then, even for somebody like yourself who's watching the Turkish League week in, week out for seasons, to say the league is definitely going to go this way then in the final few weeks? I think it's way too early right now to make any predictions on who's going to win the league because this could really swing anyway. I'd like a team who hasn't won it before to win it just as to upset the traditional order. But, I mean, I wouldn't write Galatasaray off. Six points in it, Svartiterium in charge. I mean, in my opinion, they're still the favourites. Excellent stuff. Listen, thanks very much for that, Emre. And um, hopefully it'll be as exciting a climax to the season as we all expect it will be. Thank you very much. So still European places and relegation tomorrow over in the Bundesliga, but the title race is over in Germany. And Dimitro, Bayern Munich have done it again. Thoughts? No, the thing is, I think... I've seen enough in other seasons of commentating on it and not commentating on it, not to believe that much that any team this season can actually Bayern Munich. Um, in terms of Bayern, like they had a couple of wobbles, we'll say, towards the end of the noughties. Every second season, they weren't winning it. Um, Stuttgart won the title. 
Wolfsburg won the title in 2009, and then Dortmund seemed to prod the bear a bit by actually winning it two seasons in a row, and then it's been it's been Bayern for seven seasons in a row since. Like you, you must feel that's been to the detriment of the Bundesliga, I guess. Well, what I think is even worse than that, because okay, you can win the title every single season, but the problem is that okay, every big club and every European league can buy players, but what Bayern does. They specifically target the best players of their biggest competitor at the time, and they just take them away. It happened with Borussia Dortmund, the very Borussia Dortmund you just mentioned, the one that won Bundesliga title under Jurgen Klopp. So that's what makes it a bit weird, because you don't have Man City, let's say, buying Liverpool players, Liverpool buying Man City players, whatever it is, you know. But it does happen in, in Germany. That's how it is. Bayern have that power. And players go, oh, if you remember when Bayer Leverkusen were competing with them almost 20 years ago now, they just got Michael Balik from Leverkusen, just like that. And there was no other option, actually, for him, I think, in Germany. Of course, definitely not. And then he later, of course, played for Chelsea. But if you're playing for a club that is challenging Bayern Munich, you have a good chance of ending up playing for Bayern Munich in a few seasons. Yes, and I mean, it wasn't always like that because I mean, Bayern Munich only really came through as a force in the 70s. Borussia Mönchengladbach were a major club for a long time. And the other curiosity, I guess, about the Bundesliga is if you look at a lot of the big city clubs like Gladbach, Hamburg, Cologne, Hertha Berlin, Stuttgart, they've all had their periods of relegation over the past even a dozen seasons. Well, Köln is more for yo-yo club in the last uh, few years, and Stuttgart uh, in the second Bundesliga now, even though they won the title well, recently, let's say, um, even though it's 14, 13 years now. So, yes, but Bayern Munich, they have this financial power to be there at the top. And apparently all the clubs, even though the German clubs are all based on the same model, they still can sort of figure out the recipe for how to compete with Bayern continuously. And also, it would be interesting to see if they weren't losing all those players to Bayern Munich on a regular basis, how it would have shaded up. But, you know, you have to remember, you know, a few years ago, Bayern Munich, uh, his nickname was called the FC Hollywood. That club is such a powerhouse, you know, in Germany, and all the best players from other clubs will be attracted to Bayern. And, but not only Germany, but Europe. And uh, if you look at across, uh, not too far, but uh, let's say the Netherlands, you've got exactly the same example with Ajax, who won't, you know, will just attract you know, the best players in the Netherlands. And that's what they do. And that's, which, and that's what, you know, you have a successful organization. And, uh, and when you play Europe and Champions League every season, I'm not surprised that the best players from, let's say, Dortmund, Borussia, Mönchengladbach, or Leipzig, or not necessarily Leipzig, but you know, the clubs will go to, and the players will go to uh, Bayern. That's what happens to any any other leagues. Like, yeah, but two oh, things no, there. What I'm saying, Stefan, it doesn't happen in any other league because, like I said, Liverpool could not buy half of Man City team if they're challenging them for the title. Uh, but that's that's what happens in Germany, unfortunately. And Borussia Dortmund, they also play in the Champions League every season now, almost every season now. So. It's something different there in Germany that still I don't understand why it happens. And the other thing in the Netherlands is that Ajax have had their couple of seasons. PSV have won a few titles. Feyenoord, Azad Altmar, FC Twente, 
So it's been reasonably open in the Netherlands. But if you look at France, Germany, Italy, Scotland, and for eight of the 11 seasons Spain, last 11 seasons Spain, it's been the same champion. Now, that's not healthy. And obviously, we've seen it in other leagues as well, other smaller leagues than that. But you see, more or less, that's the same. I mean, if you look at the Premier League, I mean, you, had, you, know, you have the era of Man United for a while and Man City and Liverpool, but it's more or less the same clubs. I know we can do better about it, but usually in Germany, Bayern, yeah, I guess, you know, right, but... Uh, I mean, PSG will be in France, you know, the same club, you know, winning the league. Uh, you know, you may have, you know, one season where a club like Montpellier did, you know, a few years ago, snatched it and uh, it was quite exceptional. But uh, like in Spain will be uh, the usual one, Barcelona or, or Atletico, maybe, you know, a little bit behind, but or Real. In Portugal will be Benfica, Porto or Sporting. Don't get me wrong, it's more or less the same clubs, you know, winning the leagues. But in England, it's not the same clubs. It's not the same clubs in England. You've had Leeds, Blackburn, Leicester win the league in the last 30 years. Manchester City did nothing until they had a major cash injection 11 years ago. Chelsea probably would have got over the line with Ranieri had Abramovich come in or not, but his multi-millions helped a huge deal to finally push them over the line in 05. But I mean, I do get your point, but, you know. If you, look at, if you look at the last 10, 15 years, I mean, in England, it's been Manchester United, Manchester City, and uh, also before that, it's more or less the same club. There are six clubs capable of winning the league in England. In defence of, uh, of Bayern and a question mark over the other clubs, you think back to 2002, it wasn't actually Bayern that won the league that year, it was Dortmund. Leverkusen, Neverkusen, as they were known, five points ahead with three games to go, they somehow managed to lose the title. Last season, Dortmund... Ended up losing at Augsburg, who were struggling. They were 2-0 up at Werder Bremen with a couple of games to go. 2-0 up, drew to all. Imploded against um, Schalke last season as well at home. This season, 3-2 up at Bayer Leverkusen with 10 minutes to go. Somehow lose 4-3. Uh, 1-0 up at Hoffenheim, who have a terrible home record with 10 minutes to go. Somehow lose 2-1, not even taking a point. Out of, the, uh, out of those two games were leading against Leipzig late on drew the game Bayern can only uh, beat what's in front of them as well and it's not like other teams haven't had chances in a lot of these seasons to take the title from them you remember that season when Schalke fans were already celebrating the title and Bayern Munich were playing I think away to Hamburg and Patrick Anderson scored a goal in the injury time that was fantastic it, it, it was like perfect Bayern Munich coming and getting that goal just right at the death. It was, it was brilliant for them, but probably not for the rest of Germany because so many people wanted Schalke to win that title. But, you know, even I think this season is more competitive than the previous one. I know uh, Borussia Dortmund uh, were in the league last season, but completely fed away in the second part of the campaign. But, uh, yeah, it's seemingly this, yeah, there's more teams in the, in, the, in the mix, you know, to win the title. But, again... I'm just going to be myself, but across you know the continent, it's more as the same team you know win the title. Even in England, it's more as the same guys. I think it's a lot worse in in France at the moment, and a lot more worrying overall, because even when Lyon won so many titles in a row at the turn of the century, they didn't win it by twenty points, thirty points type of thing. Nowadays, you can just hand PSG the title after match day one. You might as well. What's the point in? Uh, you know, playing for the title if PSG have already such an advantage, they're going to win it by miles every season, which isn't the case in Germany. 
But you know the same case. You know, in, in England last season, Man City was way ahead. Liverpool now is, you know, how many points do they have? It's you've got exactly the same team. I know in France it's only one run. I'm talking about you know in Europe, in Spain you have Real or, or Barcelona. That's more or less you can pinpoint you know those clubs every year to win the title. And same for Portugal. Or, or, you know, we know what's what's happening in Telebisuve for the last you know few years. You've got you know teams will be more or less you know com- yeah. A title contender every season and you're more or less guaranteed that you know in England you can pick three or four teams to win the title and this year was Liverpool was miles miles ahead for the previous season was you know Man City City only won it City only won it in the last week and it was Tottenham who were ahead for a long time made a mess of it Liverpool were on top for a bit made a mess of it and allowed City in but be that as it may two seasons ago like two seasons ago I mean last season yeah it was was, you know title race was on but uh, but usually like the league leaders in England will be quite, you know, ahead of, you know, the second in the league. You have a huge gap. And that, you can see that in most of the leagues. Exceptionally, well, exceptionally this year in, in Germany, we don't have that. But if you look at, maybe in Italy, it's slightly different this season as well, with Juve, because the change of managers with, with Allegri was, was a walkover every season. Um, but look, I mean, that's where we're to accept the situation. And those clubs are, you know, huge powers and they have a huge history behind, the, the, behind them as well. So, and that's what makes them so attractive for the players to move in the clubs. Are you not worried by France, Stefan? Because it can happen in the top leagues that a team will win by, you know, a good few points every few years or even two or three years in a row. But with PSG, how does another French team get close to them now? I mean, it's up to the teams beyond, you know, to, to try to close the gap. If you look, you know, the budget for PSG, we're talking about, you know, half a million, half a billion. That's more or less, maybe more than that, six or seven million. But you know, if you have clubs like Lyon, I mean, they have a serious budget. We talk about Lyon as three million budget, and it's not good enough when you finish like seventh in the league. Absolutely not. You have to question the clubs around Marseille budget of two million, or going through like you know huge financial problems at the minute. We know there's a crisis, you know, going on in Marseille, uh, and you can name it like a Bordeaux historic club in France. But it's not about PAG. It's about you know what can you do the clubs behind you know to try to close the gap. It's not about the money. If you have, I mean, I guess, you know, if you look at maybe in Spain, some clubs may not challenging for the title every season, but are trying to produce, you know, players and try to compete because in France, the problem they're facing is the market. It's about selling, you know, players as quick as we can, you know, and reinvest into the academy. And not necessarily like to, uh, to win the title, but to make sure the club are, you know, selling players. It's called uh, trading and it's a different model, more or less what we follow in the, uh, in the Netherlands. But it's up to the clubs and Jean-Michel Hollas or, or Jean-Jacques Jean, Henriot or the people in Nice who have been bought by an, an, uh, an English guy as well recently and uh, to invest and try to, to, uh, to catch up PSG. I don't think it's an issue. It's more an issue for the players or for the teams beyond not trying to catch up and, clo- and close the gap. That's more of the problem. It strikes me as a problem and I can't remember the article, I can't remember the interview, but there were American investors looking to put a lot of money into La Liga and they had been speaking to Barcelona at Real Madrid, but there was a long conversation that they had and coming from a background of NFL, NBA and so on, where the season's weakest team gets the pick of the best college player who's coming through in the draft system, their point was, would it not make the league more exciting 
if a lot of extra investment was put into Sevilla, into Valencia, into Athletic Bilbao, so that those sides can become stronger and produce what we have, let's say, in Germany this season, where you've got a really tight title race where there are five teams within eight points at the top. And the response, apparently, from Barca and Real was, well, no, we want to win the league. Yeah, but, you know, Will, there's an issue here. I think, you know, you talk about, you know, culture. If you got, you know, the Americans, it's all different culture. They know about football, really, and uh, what's about, you know, in Europe. And uh, that's, you know, the major issue you're facing. You know, you can see that in Bordeaux, for example, in Marseille. They're completely detached, you know, from the local, the locals, basically. They don't understand about, you know, uh, the history of Marseille or Bordeaux in the 80s when they went to the semifinals of the Champions League, losing against Juve. And that's a problem. And those guys don't really understand football as it is at the club. They don't understand the, uh, the people of the club. They don't understand the history of the club. They come basically buying well, a club in France or Spain, whatever. If it's a, people from the States, for example, it's about trading and making money. And those guys, when investing in the French clubs, as an example, are coming from they are huge investment funds. So it's part of the portfolio, like any, any asset they may have. And uh, it's about making money. And they, are, they don't have a plan to develop the clubs. All they want is trading, making money, selling players. And as you know, and you all will know about that, there's a lot of young French players being sold very quickly for a lot of money for like very big clubs like Bayern, Barcelona, Real. And that, this is what they see every time they buy you know, a club in France, for example. And we'll talk about you know, Citigroup, Man City to, trying to purchase you know, Nancy for a while. I mean, they look at you know, to make money. And that's what it is at the minute in France. I'm talking about France. And it is an issue. It is an issue. But surely, if you've got the same clubs in France, Italy, let's throw in Germany, Spain, potentially, who are winning the league year in, year out. It's the, it's the age-old thing. I like the alien coming down in the spaceship. They look at these league titles where it's the same winner seven, eight years in a row for the first time in history, third time that we'll see a nine-in-a-row champion in Scotland. And they'll look at that and they'll say, well, I mean, that's really good for the champion, but it's not good for anyone else. It's not good for the league. It's not sustainable. And eventually, a league like that can't survive. But I understand what you're saying, but those people coming to the league, uh, Will, that's the point you, 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 you know, I'm trying to make it. Those people are not coming for, you know, to compete against PAG. They are trying to trade players. They're here to make money, not, you know, to have, they have a business model not to try to win the league and to play Europe. They're here to sell players. That's what they want. They don't care about the rest. That's, you know, the issue. I can guarantee you if you have, let's say, as an example, uh, a major investor from the States going to take, trying to take over, take Bayern Munich, that's not going to work. If the business model is about selling players, that's not going to work. Bayern Munich has a history of winning the Champions League, winning the league. That's what it's about, the structure of the club. But you can't do that in Germany anyway because of the 50 plus one rule. It's all about, you know, an association with supporters. But I'm going back to France again. They don't have that structure in France. Again, it's different because we have American owners in Liverpool now. It doesn't look like they want to make money by selling plays. They do want to win the title. And we have American owners at Man United who only want to get money out of the club. So you can't say that they're all the same. They all come in with the same model. What they don't understand, yes, they don't understand the league system in Europe and probably they, they shouldn't because they have a different situation, right? All those American professional leagues are based on franchises, not clubs. You can take it from one city and move it to another. Just don't even ask fans. It happened recently in NFL, I think, that the team was moved from, well, you know better, the Rams. They were from 
Yeah, it was the St. Louis Rams removed to LA. They They went to LA, right? So who cared about what fans were thinking about this move? No one actually. So there were different owners from different countries. And uh, apparently Liverpool owners will be praised for what they did because one way or the other, they were behind getting Jurgen Klopp into the club. They gave him time and he seems to be delivering on that because they won Champions League and they will win uh, the title. And when they come to Spain, you have to understand this also about Spain, Real Madrid and Barcelona, they're owned theoretically by fans. The fans who go and vote for the president, there are only four clubs in Spain who are run by this. Those two, Osasuna and Athletic Bilbao. So you have to win the election to be a president of it. So it's politics. And even if there are Americans coming and saying, okay, we want to invest in Real Madrid and Barcelona, whoever the president is, it's going to be very interesting to see how it works and how and what happens in that situation. And of course, they don't want to share anything with anyone. Historically, if you look from 1950s, you had Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, and Valencia here and there, Deportivo La Coruña in 2000, and that's it. You didn't have any other clubs winning the title in Spain. For so many years, it was just a matter for two or three, because Atletico were quite strong in the 50s, 60s, sort of faded away after 70s. And starting from the 90s, again, it's, it's just uh, for the exception of those titles uh, that Valencia won with Rafa Benitez and Deportivo, it's Real Madrid, Barcelona, and we had Cholo Simeone winning it uh, a few years ago with Atletico Madrid. So they don't want to change that. Real Madrid and Barcelona would never change that because it suits them just fine. So when we talk about, yeah, same clubs winning the league, it happens in so many countries, that's true. What I'm saying, what strikes me about Germany is that, again, when Barcelona wins the title, and they, of course, they compete with Real Madrid or Atletico, they cannot buy three or four best players from Real Madrid and Atletico. It doesn't happen in Spain. They, they get them from elsewhere. They get them from France and other uh, countries, of course, because they had lots of French players in Barcelona, and there are also some good French players in uh, Real Madrid. That's what is interesting for me about Germany. It, even though they run on that specific model 50 plus one which is very interesting and very good for the fans Bayern Munich can still do that and other clubs just don't seem to be a match for them on the pitch or on the business side of it which which is really interesting all good food for thought and that's it for now if you're listening for the first time after we were mentioned on Side Lives sorry my interview was so long I just can't help myself and if you're one of our hundreds of Ukrainian listeners you'll probably have heard Dimitro back in the Premier League again on TV and he also has a Ukrainian podcast now called El Portero you might like it but please do keep listening to us. As always, please do like, rate and review as it helps spread the word. And the word is over for this week. From Dimitro Zulai, Mark Rodden, Stefan Joni and me, Will Downing, it's goodbye and look after yourselves. 